0: Hello, Rantbox TV. Welcome to
1: the next episode of hopefully a series that you have been watching for some time. And if it's your first time, great. You're about to witness us talk about, well, commentary on race, gender, and other community concerns in 21st century Britain and abroad. We're subject driven, and so we'll avoid the risk of spending 15 to 20 minutes introducing the entire panel. They can introduce themselves when they speak, and if you watch until the end, you can find out more about them at that point. If you're watching the full-length version of this on YouTube, please like the content, press hit like and uh, hit subscribe. Today's question is the second part of our last group discussion, which was how has the idea of the superhero benefited fictional media, and what is the case for its negative impact of modern content? So we've got various different categories. We're going to start
2: off with literary fiction. Mark, you have something to say? It has had a negative impact, I think, in a way, because it's made, like, a certain demographic of fiction just, not trashier, but very easily accessible. Like, you know, sometimes people write novels, and that person is a superhero and allows a very free, you know, that person has a, a power that is akin to a superhero and that lets them have free reign over certain choices so it has impacted negatively as well i think okay uh, and there's a lot of fan fiction out
0: i mean i i think it's very interesting to look at uh the impact of on fiction in that way especially as you kind of have this almost uh heroic dualism like like a two branches of of heroism almost where you have a a kind of a a moral absolutism which is about kind of objective justice and the idea that there are good people and bad people and they fall into these lines and the hero is the person who enforces the the good rules as they were as they are and that's like one side of it but then on the other side you have this kind of analysis of you know What does it mean to be a good person with a lens to kind of extra abilities, you know, and I I find the idea of analysing those in two different ways very interesting to look at, Uh, though I think I probably come down slightly more on the sort of Alan Moore moral ambiguity side than the uh, kind of absolute justice side personally.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, Definitely. 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 Um, I mean, I, th- I think off the back of that, you'd have the, um, the, the old trope from Spider-Man of uh, great power and great responsibility. Uh, and when you have that power in the wrong hands, which has been examined, you know, frequently in more modern uh, superhero books, where you, you have the likes of someone like Hyperion, who is the Marvel analog of Superman from D.C., um, originally, I, he was a character that had a uh, a he he was a character that had a negative outlook, and and he wasn't brought up necessarily correctly. Um, but but it, originally, but he's now gone on to lead other groups and so forth, and and he's much more well regarded, and he's a rounder character. But then you also have characters such as Sentry as well uh, robert reynolds who deals with uh mental instability as well and that for me when i started reading about his comics and his battles with his alter self which is the void and so forth really spoke to me about you know having that duality in yourself and and f- on, on this note you know um many th- uh, from what i'm reading and what i've researched ph students from across the board but, but especially in psychotherapy have looked at comics and so forth as as basis for their theses because obviously some of the characters are very accessible and you know they, they're things that you picked up from when you were five six seven years old and stayed with you up until the point that you're actually writing your 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 your, your, your final pieces
1: Yeah, I'd say you've got a good point there. I think that the superhero as an idea has had a very nomadic existence. If you look at, say, Doc Savage or if you look at The Shadow and both these characters coming from Pulp Fiction, you know, when they transgressed into, like, say, the superhero comic book form, they were um, mutated into, say, Batman and Superman in terms of ideas. And in that, say that medium, which I think a lot of people saw as quite juvenile at the time, the the inherent idea of a comic book page is to brandish you with action and splash um, events, where you're not necessarily looking for any kind of inherent philosophy or discussions. You're looking at action. And so, for a while, in that playpen, um, moving through like say timely comics that would later become Marvel Comics and whatnot, you had all these characters and whatnot that weren't necessarily able to make their nomadic trip back into uh, quote-unquote book prose form um, to a point where if you have an idea for a story which has a superhero in, most people are probably going to come to the conclusion that it has a, a better place in the comic book world or now in the movie landscape. Um, has anyone heard of G. Willow Wilson? Yeah. No. yeah. Uh, G. Willow Wilson is like the co-creator of Miss Marvel. She also wrote a book in, um, well, it came out in 2012 called Alif the Unseen. Now, Alif the Unseen is kind of like mixing uh, the Arab Spring, hackers and Middle Eastern um, uh, mythology. And it's such a wild mix of stories that um, it's, it's, Particular interest in these transgressive concerns makes sense in the book, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Like uh, the old idea that if you took Watchmen, uh, which we discussed earlier, and you put that into book form, it would probably still communicate in a really good way. It would miss out on a lot of the on the action and the uh, the, the particular um, cinematic ideas that happen between panels, um, but essentially you could still make that work as a book. Um, And so my question today being, has literary fiction benefited from it? I'd say it's folded in tropes of the superhero into uh, young adult fiction, such as stuff by G. Willow Wilson. Um, So essentially, I mean, before you'd have uh, magical tropes that have been going for some time, you know, I mean, uh, the latest would be like, say, a Harry Potter type clone Mm -hmm. or whatnot. But now when it comes to like, say, YA fiction, if you came up with a superhero idea, I'm thinking that's going to get published quite easily. I mean, I've got a few things in my notes. So I'll add that into the description box. But um, there are like many, many, especially when it comes to um, diverse uh, categories of uh, of, pe- of people, whether they be um, non-binary, whether they be gay or trans. A lot of those um, say types of background for a character have found their place in modern superhero fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've said quite a bit there. Um, has anyone got anything to add in regards to this part of the topic before we move on?
0: Um, I just, uh, once again, uh, I, did, I only recognised the name G Willing Wilson when you mentioned Out of the Unseen because I realised I've read that book um, and I found it really interesting, to come back to where we started at the beginning a little bit, I find it really interesting the idea that you have this kind of the superpower In the definition of superhero and then you have almost like a super morality you know where it's like not necessarily and and, you know stepping away from justice and talking about how do you make the right decision which is a much more complicated question than how do you enforce the law like i think for me that is a really positive i mean for for me it really comes down to these two separate The, the justice narrative which I think is ultimately about being told what to do which is I, I think quite a kind of a covering your ears from having to think kind of point of view and then you have this kind of power narrative of okay you have the power to do something what do you do and I think that is a, a storytelling device that has so much unlimited potential in a, in a very positive way.
3: Yeah, sorry, definitely um, just going back to something we said before um, with superhero, uh, Superman, Red Sun. once again, essentially placing Superman in a different, in in Russia, uh, and the fact that he was um, uh, approached by his his political leader to um, not necessarily attack America, but to um, essentially be the superhero that the Soviet Union wanted um, and, and make America fear that they would unleash, unleash their ultimate weapon towards the end of uh, Red Sun Superman, Superman actually does resolve and, and feels that what he's been told by his leaders isn't right and that he should go off and do his own thing so yeah definitely sort of off the back of what Matt says I think that's exactly I what think... certain people are asking, aiming for
2: I think that makes, like, I think your point there makes, like, uh, comic books quite a valid medium of, like, telling stories for the modern age where you couldn't necessarily tell them by film, um, especially for, like, in the away from the vein of superheroes, but it's even comics like The Unknown Soldier, um, or if, which is a DC comic, which is great if anyone can get a hold of it and the premise of Garth Ennis' as The Unknown Soldier is that this person's been behind all the dirty parts of American history and it's almost like yes the superhero trope has folded into literature but some of the literature's folded back into the superhero trope where we're actually discussing geopolitical events in mm-hmm. comics and um, seeing how they've like shaped our society but also seeing how the, like, society has been shaped by those superhero tropes like Captain America you know the sheep like Simon said with Red Sun <laughs> Like, these characters were designed to be the shield of America. I mean, Captain America literally has a shield with a big star (laughs) on it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in the the age where there was super weapons being bred, they are very much of the Eisenhower era. And, yeah, I think that would link into it. But now, like, comics are discussing these events, like The Unknown Soldier, which talks about, like, the Iran uprising, uh, Vietnam and the Cambodia like incursions that happened there from um, like US special forces, and discussing all these and all these dirty bits. Of, like like I love this comic. I've only I've read it on Kindle Unlimited, and it basically goes through like this whole dirty set of events um, over uh, 50 years, and it turns out it's all this one guy, and he just hates himself and hates what everything's become. Because in the end, they decide to rescue Hitler. And that's when he finds out, like, one of the generals tells him years after they're going to let Hitler go. But, like, he gets killed before they can actually extract him. And it's just how, um, like I said, it's all these, you know, things about what morality is on the negative side, but it's also showing these geopolitical events. I'm sorry, I don't know if that's really relevant, but I thought that, it. It yeah. was interesting. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we should move on to the next
1: section because we have a certain amount of time. Um, radio plays... Have they in any way benefited from superheroes as a concept or have they been negatively impact or if there's been no impact whatsoever, which I think is a valid answer?
3: Yeah, I wouldn't say recently they, they haven't benefited from because not necessarily, I suppose with the advent of the Internet, we've moved in a slightly different direction. But from what I picked up previously, they were very popular uh, when obviously radio was more popular towards the, the start of the century, uh, the 1930s, you would have um, the likes of the Green Hornet, um, the Green Hornet uh, show as well, along with obviously the Superman show um, in, in the 40s through to the early uh, 50s as well. Um, and, and there are a number of different types of those shows where you are able to expand on what you read in your you know action comics number one. And then they would take those stories and apply, you know, relatively famous or well-known actors to portray those um, uh, characters on the radio as well. And I can say myself personally, I always do enjoy listening to. Audio plays from across the genre. So at, at the moment, I'm, I'm listening to um, the expanded, uh, the extended expanded universe from Star Wars and so forth, being um, uh, being played by a particular uh, actor, um, and some of the stuff from Warhammer as well. I find that really interesting. The stuff from Dan Abner, Abner, who's a great writer. Uh, I've read his books, but also his his his, uh, his radio plays are really good as well. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. Mm. Um, I find it quite interesting that uh, the I I feel like movies almost inherited the legacy of radio drama because those plays really started in the 1930s right which I didn't realize coincides kind of with the popularization of the the superhero like comic as a as a genre in the in like as well so kind of this twin birth but like if you think about it radio is just so much more accessible to the common person right mm. like it's it's literally free like if you pay like i I'm, you, know, you you pay like a, a licensing fee potentially to the state for certain certain state uh, uh stations but it's broadcast and you just tune into it So I I feel like there is a massive legacy set by radio audio fiction. But I think a lot of that does come from the justice narratives that you get around superheroes. Like, as you say, Green Hornet, Superman, the Lone Ranger, if you want to look at him as a a superhero as well. They are all kind of associated with the birth of radio as a storytelling form. Very
1: much so. I mean, it has to be said Taking us back to my idea of the superhero being a nomadic creature, um, characters like Superman had a lot of uh, rebirth in radio. Um, mm-hmm. He couldn't actually fly before the radio show um, and he couldn't actually be hurt by anything until they fought of Kryptonites for the radio show. Mm-hmm. So there's something you may not know, but essentially they take what they need from different mediums, don't they? And they mm-hmm. carry on. Now it seems to be going full circle, like right? they are coming back into that aforementioned subcategory of books simply because they've taken stuff from what they've got from radio they've taken stuff from movies I mean there are characters who um, people hadn't even heard about until they saw them or heard them in these different mediums and so to obviously ingratiate themselves upon those audiences producers are going to put stuff within the stories that give them that extra life.
2: Uh, yeah I fully agree I think the sort of and I think with radio serialization it's gone like it has evolved in like two very interesting distinct ways and I think the like spiritual almost successor to that is webisodes like Halo Forward Unto Dawn was a brilliant sort of webisode series I mean I remember working in an office somewhere and just sitting to watch it every week as it came out and yeah it was brilliant and I think that's the spiritual successor because it is like these, you know, I think Halo Underdome was released in five minute parts, each one until, uh, the, you know, this sort of sequence of events finished in about 40 minutes long, I think it is. And um, so that's where I think that successor is, but we've also noticed a trend in Netflix with superheroes folding back into series and like there's more serializations like studios are, are definitely investing like more money in serialization like you know DC Marvel um, they've both got spin-off series I think they've got a couple out now mm-hmm. you know like some of the more minor characters like the Flash mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where that's going but sorry yeah, de- definitely I also like to link into size Dan Abner thing because I've completely forgotten about Dan Abner but one way I think the superhero trope has moved as well is back into pulp fiction, starting in like the '70s with Judge Dredd and 2000 AD, where that serial pulp magazine was available, and that's where we started getting our superheroes from. That were um, more literary, mm-hmm. well, a little bit more sort of just weekly accessible and serialized, almost. Sorry.
3: Does anyone know if Dick Tracy was a, a radio?
2: So, it was yes it, it
3: was okay yeah because he he's crossed all mediums essentially for for the 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 benefits of this show he he's done the movies he's in theater he's in radio and obviously he's got his comic books and and larger books as well so you can see you know a complete ecosystem covering all, all four areas
1: yeah i'd say dick Tracy's quite malleable and let, let's face it he's quite a safe character like mm-hmm. he's white he's white He's a womanizer to an extent, depending on what, you know, idiom you've actually picked up on or what on um, iteration. And that's kind of it. Like, he's like a kind of like a cop, but I don't really, I don't know. I'm not thinking that he's got a great amount of longevity going through generations. I'd say you're going to hear less about Dick Tracy as time goes on, because I don't know what 15 year old is thinking, hey, I really love Dick Tracy. I'm going to go out and buy
3: him. <laughs> I, I want the jacket. The jacket's still cool as hell. Well, right. the thing.
1: Are we thinking of the jacket that Warren Beatty was wearing? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're not particularly young, Simon. But some-
3: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. We you look know, at you, cocoa butter. You, know,
1: you may want that jacket, but I don't hmm. know if, like, say, a, a younger person in your family is going to even know what that jacket means,
2: let alone what Warren Beatty is. Uh, by them, do you know what I mean? So- uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like I- sorry I was going to chime in and say like that's kind of we talk about minorities on this show like or minor marginalized people um and I didn't really prepare much for that but I do have a couple of thoughts and it was the fact that like 2000 AD which I was talking about before which is a very pulp you know it was pulp fiction you know Judge Dredd. it's uh, where uh, they came from obviously you know no 2000 AD here but uh, it also gave rise to a lot of characters that were female and were um, like sort of the first like heroes who stood up for themselves as women and represented in fiction that wasn't just that sort of classic fiction. Like The Ballad of Halo Jones um, started in 2008, one of Alan Moore's most uh, strongest comic books ever. Which is brilliant. Uh, Martha Washington originally was a strip in 2000 AD, which I don't know if Simon remembers reading the Martha Washington comic books about. I remember it. Remember yeah. It. I read yeah. a lot of
3: 2000 AD. But yeah,
2: and, you know, like about a, a black woman going into space and being a leader in a war. And then moving on to Dan Ampnett's Durham Red, which is about a female yeah. vampiress. Yes. And, like, yeah, she, that. yeah, those, like, all the comics are so well drawn. And the like, she is, like, quite a strong character. She's quite likable. She doesn't mm. overplay the fact that she is quite attractive in it. She, it's more about, you know, just that pulp, blood, guts, go and violence sort of thing. But, you know, toned down for kids, obviously. Yeah, So that was good. I cool. think it's been more accessible in that way. The pulp serialization of these comic books and, like, moving off radio plays because there would have been radio plays like, let certain ideas be more accessible and certain writers to be freer with their conceptions that, you know, only to, up until now we're challenging. I mean, we're only just getting, you know, relatively used to stronger people and stronger women in movies even, you know? Yeah. Like, Wonder Woman only came out in 2016, I think, or 2017. Wonder Woman was 2017. Sorry about that, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I'd like to say that radio plays... As far as I know, we can easily pull upon what has happened and talk about the history of it, rather than talking about like the modern day, because ultimately, as Simon was saying, he's listening to a radio play, which is um, drawing upon the expanded universe of Star Wars. But when okay. it comes to superheroes, I would say superheroes, again, as a nomadic entity, they don't necessarily need radio the way they used to. You know, They've pretty much found their place online or in the movie theater or in games. But I wouldn't yeah. say that you know, your, your average, again, 17, 18 year old is gonna be rushing home to be listening to the radio. The imagination there has migrated. Um, so with that in mind, uh, can we move on to theater? Um, has in any way um, theater been impacted by the superhero as an idea?
3: superheroes in theatre um, sort of uh, f- fall underneath the, or sort of have the same concepts and ideas as well. So just looking at it, when you think of a, a comic book strip, it's large, big, big bombastic characters who uh, essentially have moments of touching uh, inner thought and so forth. And this is what you find with theatre uh, especially. So you'll, you'll have your, your long monologue um, delivered by your main character
1: which will then go to your next area same thing with comic books you're right i think there's a lot of potential for theatre to showcase a certain kind of superheroic story simply because of the dramatic potential that can be done when you're watching something happening play out in front of you so it's got that mm-hmm. same immediacy um, and intimacy i say that have that radio has arguably yeah. uh, because you don't necessarily have the ability to do the stuff that you can do in films that there is a a drawback to that and let's face it even in comic books um comic books has uh I can't remember who said it but essentially if you have the idea of a budget in your head for a movie and you can't afford it comics are your next best bet <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah Up in two pages that would cost you like eight million otherwise mm-hmm. um but yeah like I, I definitely think that theater has potential there um anyone else
0: I, I find that, that point you made, actually, about the uh, the ability, the, the kind of pared downness of the theatre, a very good way of kind of getting away from some of the bombast that is associated with superhero fiction. And I think there's a lot of potential there, particularly, because, I mean, uh, one of the best ways I can describe it is that I was watching a... a, a, a Uh, critical analysis of the fighting in Daredevil uh, a while ago and how choreography like when you see an action scene in a film you're not just watching punches land and explosions and whatever there is a story being told and a, a good fight scene actually tells you about the emotional state of the characters taking part in that fight and you learn something about them through the action beats of that scene. And so in that way, when you take away a lot of the special effects and you just get it down to people standing in a room with some very basic, whatever you can actually get, like physical, in front of you, special effects going, I think it then takes the reins off a little bit for just characteristic expression and less of the... It's shock and awe that you get in the, the auditorium the cinema auditorium you, know, you watched this
1: um it, it was a video right mm. I think i've think i seen the scene, the same one they were even using it's fantastic if it's the same one they were using um examples of you remember in revenge of the sith and you got anakin and obi-wan and they're fighting and it's, it looks really pretty yeah you don't know anything about those characters just from looking at the fight unfortunately if you look at say empire strikes back the way Luke is kind of like, he's not quite able to like beat Vader because he's so arrogant about what he's doing. And Vader's just toying with him. The entire mm-hmm. scene, when I watched it after checking out that video, it made so much sense. Yes, you can tell a story through the way they're fighting. So mm-hmm. yeah, theatre um, obviously would have that aspect there, as well as films. But at the same time, as um, Matt says, we can get away from having the idea of how do you conceptualise a massive explosion to how do you get these guys having a certain kind of uh friction through the way their body is moving and the way it's blocked out on stage That's quite interesting uh,
3: so just uh just a thought that just popped into my head in regards to now this is maybe a bit off there depending how you see it but in regards to the world of wrestling and so <laughs> forth and you know you, you
0: have
1: call you- a section can we say speak- <laughs> We have an agreement. We have. Okay. Agreement. Okay. 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 <laughs> I was going to so say that. I
0: mean, I mean, I agree. We should say that for later. But oh, I would argue. Oh, I would so. argue that that actually is the closest that I can think of to superhero uh, stage plays. Like, Telling like, the, a story, yeah. Plays. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah
0: all
3: right go on do it oh no no that's what i was uh, was gonna say because um, i've only picked it up again recently because i've been very bored but when you break down a a about between your two you know hype you know hyper characters like a, a a sting and a um uh hulk hogan for example they are your heroes at the time and instead of just punching each other and so forth they do go into a choreographed dance which is due to tell a story as well. And they are, once again, emoting. They are essentially showing off, you know, that they're in pain by selling and so forth. And there is that idea of spectacle and wow, that you do look towards when you go to a live theatre show as well or or ballet or anything of that of that nature so yeah i I was just going to say that's where sort of Oh, that's fair
1: that's
0: fair i'd actually also say sorry sorry it's just (laughs) now now that we've made that connection it's just made me realize as well that 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 spirit the idea of the the hero being someone you look up to as a and as example especially for young kids I think is even more exaggerated in uh, Mexican wrestling, in uh, luchador fights, where it's incredibly acrobatic, like they're jumping off each other, and like they've got these ones where you have um, like a smaller, like like, uh, wrestlers with dwarfism fighting full-sized wrestlers and doing these incredibly acrobatic um, feats of, of, of wrestling. And uh, I think it, it it really does do this thing of, of telling a story and dramatically getting an audience in, uh, involved. Mm. Sure, um, I have
1: something to add to that, but you know what I'm <laughs> going to do? Uh, <laughs> Any bad shit to the, the show? <laughs> We've got a new section. Basically, yep. anything that pops up in our brains and things will pop up in our brains. We're going to save to the end of the show. Um, but yep. yeah, I don't even want to go into it because it's pretty. It's pretty. Um, Intense and it talks about the merit of story and intersectionism and the basis of um, a lot of these stories seem to be about might being right and it's very hetero in that way. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, Musicals and superheroes. (laughs) Never thought I'd say that on the video, (laughs) but it's happened. Does anyone have anything to say about musicals and how is a superhero as an idea impacted negatively, if at all, or positively?
2: we've discussed on red sun before the trend has been with superhero tropes to look at the reverse that superman was created as this american perfect shield in a nuclear age when someone else had a really dangerous weapon and they might use it against, use it against you so that sort of was to give the american people like a little bit of confidence in their subconscious but when red sun took that it flipped it on its side and said right well what happened if superman was in russia and was braced in stalinism but those good human values still shine through. Um, and then that's reflected in musicals, I think, by, and, well, in the wider sort of cultural zeitgeist, by the examination of these anti hero characters like Ratchet, the, uh, the sort of main evil character in One for the Cuckoo's Nest, and examine what journey got us to that point. And then I think that links into musicals by looking at Wicked, you know, the uh, principal character in Wicked is the Wicked Witch of the West and like examining how she got to that point to be the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think from what I saw, um, I don't necessarily think musicals um, actually have necessarily been influenced by superheroes necessarily, uh, other than what we say in regards to theatre obviously, that you do have your protagonist character and so forth. But what you have seen is where they've tried to take the superhero concept and apply it to um, to theatre musicals. One example, uh, Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. I think everyone's heard about that one, which was a critical failure the most expensive musical of all time at 75 million dollars the investors lost 60 million dollars and it was shut down after three years and the main thing which i think is hilarious and links it back to um the play that went wrong is that a majority oh sorry some of the actors got injured as well which of course you're going to have with uh, it's 127 air, uh, aerial fights and so forth which at the time and probably still to this day and probably why they're doing is a marvel to to on the on the levels that you would have with Cirque du Soleil and so forth but once again with you know with with um the musical aspect of superheroes musicals are big you know they're they're very big concepts big characters uh, and so forth and you know I could just imagine seeing the biff pow and so forth being linked with like stomp and other things of that nature so that there's definitely a synergy with it um i just don't know if it's been done well as of yet
1: i'm quite cynical about the whole enterprise i think it's one thing that executive producers can do is they can literally which this amazing magical trick where you don't question how much money's being spent on the project because it's so good. Unfortunately, when it comes to musicals, there haven't really been any magicians that I can think of when it comes <laughs> to superhero legacy. Um, mm. Because it, it's basically them attempting to create um, a, another viaduct from that cash cow of, of Marvel's premier character in terms of the collective unconscious, Spider Man. You know, it's like, oh, Spider Man sells, well, let's put on the show. Um, mm story's not particularly great and you have a lot of um from what I've researched the the actual accidents happened because there was there was a lot of mismanagement going on yeah um, and again it's just that kind of arrogance that would breed um let alone a bad uh, sequel trilogy it's going to have a bad idea in terms of if you're into musicals, if you love the idea of going to see Hamilton or or even Mamma Mia or something else, which is very much, it, it, it's part of the musical you know history now, but it's not necessarily a traditional musical. If you yeah. see, hear a train come into that station, you're going to view it quite cynically anyway. So if it doesn't do so well, it's like, why did they do this what was the initial thought obviously to make lots of money but mm-hmm. is there any emotional depth to this and no. it could be you know i mean it, uh, spider-man turn off the dark it had um, certain aspects of greek tragedy and um, that in itself has a, a fundamentally um uh linked to, to theater which i'm sure i don't have to go into but musical theater could benefit from these stories if it's done by people who truly care about mm-hmm. stories let alone mm-hmm. in-
0: I mean, I'm I'm quite glad you mentioned uh, Alexander Hamilton because earlier on in the show, I actually thought about it in this context. And I wonder if part of the reason why we are struggling with this concept of superhero media in musicals is because of this need to take an existing IP and kind of migrate its properties onto a different medium. And if that's part of the issue with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, there was another video I was watching with while ago back about um, successful musical episodes of long-running TV shows and what makes them good and what makes them bad and usually the ones that come out rather poorly executed are the ones that don't actually understand the the dramatic format of the musical and how you make a song tell a story how those Mm -hmm. stories fit together into a wider narrative arc and in that sense I kind of feel like we maybe can look at Hamilton as a superhero musical because it has a lot of the kind of the structure that you might expect with a superhero. The kind of journey is this epic kind of forming a nation, kind of, if we're looking at the, the, the morality side of being a superhero, I think it quite clearly fits the mold. And then not only that, they... To tell it in such a way where they have a, primor- a a majority POC cast in these very powerful roles. And so not only do you have a, a story that gives you history, it gives you a, 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 at least a semi-nuanced morality, it also gives you a kind of a, a way of looking up to this fictitious portrayal of a historical character, fine. Mm-hmm. But imagining them in this recontextualized, narrative i think has a lot of power to it
1: maybe i could be playing devil's advocate here but maybe we're looking at um the idea of like say the epic story or journey of a hero and we could be using a terminology which superheroes being part of you know the the nowness of culture doesn't necessarily mean that what we're talking about when it comes to Hamilton is a superhero story just an epic journey but Mm. because of the context of us having this conversation you know you you can't be faulted for having that connection but I don't know if that's in some way dismissive to older stories which you know which were around before the term or or, or phraseology of superhero was coined you'd have someone like John Henry
3: um the, the, the 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 American character um, I, I I don't know too much about him, but I've I've obviously seen that um, the character of Steel has some relations to him and so forth, and, and he's named he, after him. Like, yeah,
1: get someone who was oppressed, um, yeah, and <clears> then <throat> give them a certain uh, power in their recent community. Mm. You know, it expresses a wider injustice. And um, through, you know, because I've I've like,
3: seen a, a theatre play with john about john henry years and years and years ago and yes the the, the hero story does resonate with that uh, uh with me uh, as well obviously being a poc uh and so forth uh, and working through the, the troubling times to come out on the other side uh, as someone that is looked up to by by the community very much similar to your superheroes, your Spider-Man in, in, in New York uh, uh, and Gotham. Not Well, actually not Batman, he's hated. But, you, you know, you do have those those types of characters uh, uh, as well.
1: I would recommend, I don't know if I'm wrong in this, but did you say last time you haven't yet checked out the Watchmen TV series? I haven't yet, no. Oh, mate. Definitely check out, with this in mind, you talk about John Henry, mm-hmm. check that out, because some of the stuff that they talk about, particularly the characters called Hood of Justice... It Understands that story so well, um, cool. in terms cool. of the um, oppressed figure given a certain bit of power in their uh local vicinity. Um, but yeah, um, I think do we have anything else to say on musicals and
2: Um, yeah, I'd just like to join in following up with what yourself and Simon have said. And it's a bit of a, um, an out there point in a roundabout way, but bear with me because it does have some relevance. But I do think I do want to ask the question, does The fact that the spider-man show failed show an inherent almost flaw in a superhero in the superhero tropes armor because if you need to have so many aerial fights to sort of simulate what's really going uh like to simulate you know what people expect to see which is in a movie does that not take a like it's almost like the tropes become too reliant on special effects and aerial acrobatics instead of actually focusing on the human condition of a superhero's development, which is something that like people invest in. Um, I'm
1: gonna cheat in answering this question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, On the one hand, you can embrace the idea of realism by having like, you know, your trapeze artist and whatnot, stunt man being spider in the rafters doing their thing. Or you can go for something which isn't necessarily realism Um, And you can actually, yeah, you can project um, like various things on the backdrop, can't you? Or, I mean, let's face it. Do we need real cars in theatre? No. But have we Mm. seen theatrical stories that have vehicles? (laughs) Yes. So there's there's a whole other convention, there. the way that um, you only really truly need to think about um, your particular kind of advantages in film if you want to actually get across to everyone that it's actually happening. But in theater, for them to realise it's happening depends very much on the aesthetics of the design and the, the people playing the role, let alone if it's um, body um, caricatures and whatnot. I'm not... <laughs> Not body character but you can you can create a door out of a couple of bodies. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm.
3: So, yeah, and, and also just off the back, you said there about obviously the design and so forth, but also the collaborative effort of who's producing it as well. If you have someone who uh, I think with the Spider Man show, it was originally um, directed by a, a Broadway uh, director who, who who focused on another of other shows, but when they replaced her, they brought in comic book writers. Specifically, who knew more about you know what was going on, and they also had a, um, a studio, uh, an executive, as well. He was a consultant uh, as well, who um, managed to try to turn the show around, and he wasn't able to unfortunately wasn't able to to get it off the ground uh, as well funny bit, to
1: be honest like <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Best idea. I think if you have someone who is fundamentally a playwright first and they have a great love of these superhero stories you hire them
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah um <laughs> was that a little harmonica just <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry that was my whatsapp yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, so yeah last section before we move into like um, the crazy section as I'm going to call it uh, internet web plays does anyone have anything to say
0: about that I think Matt you had a few things to say yeah I mean I, this is something that I was very excited about um, that I kind of saved from radio because I do feel like it's kind of a separate thing it's kind of the legacy of radio um, though it's interesting that you know, I'm basically talking about podcasts which have gone on this funny route themselves where they've kind of taken on over from radio in some senses but then I've been finding podcasts that I listen to making their way back into broadcast radio um, mm-hmm. and I think part of that has a lot to thank from superheroes like the 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 draw of the superhero narrative has brought quite a few people, I think, into the podcast space that I don't think would be there otherwise. Um, There's recently, uh, Marvel started an effort with uh, Wolverine. Uh, They've on season three, I think now. Uh, Some very interesting storytelling that is done using, I forget the name of it. It's a, a special kind of recording technique where you are given spatial awareness of the recording by the way it's recorded. So if someone's speaking just behind you, you hear the voice over here instead. And so it's this incredibly immersive story that would be hard to experience in any other medium. Um, And I do think, you know, in a way, this is a great way of getting people into a medium that is kind of its own little ecosystem, that if you aren't into podcasts, it kind of falls under the wayside until one gets bought up to make to be turned into a film, or it gets bought up for radio. But aside from that, it's all kind of podcast geeks, all sort of listening to each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the other, as an, an another branch to that, an incredible uh, kind of crossover that I found with one show that I'm a massive fan of is um, called The Bright Sessions, and The Bright Sessions for me, is a really great example of how you can take kind of the legacy of superhero culture and do something very interesting and very different. It's never really quite been done before because the show is fundamentally about a psychologist who works for a government agency that helps keep the identities of young people with abnormal abilities hidden from the public eye. So, essentially, the kids from Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, and the format of the show is the therapy sessions for these kids who are traumatised from having to hide certain aspects of their personality. One of them uh, can hear other people's thoughts, and he kind of ends up realising that he's gay, and all of these, like, kind of complex character beats get kind of teased out through the format of these therapy sessions and radio to play, that I just I find it hard to believe could really be told successfully in another medium. Mm.
3: Oh, definitely, cool. definitely. We have the um, so just short, quickly with my two favourite sort of channels on, on, on YouTube at the moment. It would be uh, Comic Storyian and Comics Explained, um, and they originally came together. Um, to, to discuss comics um, and, 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 and especially in the rise of, of the MCU and so forth but they split apart into their own channels but essentially they deliver the media, the, 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 the media similar, in similar ways where um, essentially they will take scans of the page um, and they will edit it slightly so it's better as a play uh, and Benny who is the comic historian is very good at voices uh, essentially so when i when he's doing for example uh Punisher and I read a Punisher comic, I hear his voice uh, and so forth, and a number of other people while uh Rob, who's over on comic comics explain. Just has the best voice of all time. He's just yeah. Let me tell you, son, Greenland is the best. <laughs> just he, he's amazing as well. And I I think once again with the you know with the the emerging technology that we have from having YouTube on our phones and so forth, I've I love the fact that I can just um, go for a walk or go running and someone can read. a a relatively uh, because like what we said before about new uh comic issues coming out so often um and they're getting more expensive and and so forth as well i can't keep up with them but with these guys they do it in 20 minute uh segments of, of a particular issue or maybe a volume and then towards the after about a year or so they'll put all of those uh issues together and do the full annual which which will mean you'll get the entire house of m story through to decimation through to the next and and they all lead together so if if i want a quick recap on something i've forgotten from civil war years ago i can go to that and they'll just quickly explain
1: it to me i'll be like yep got it i'm ready to go familiar with comics explained um i used to listen to that kind of like show a lot then I had to stop because <laughs> <laughs> I found my brain was becoming like some kind of puddle of nonsense
3: <laughs> oh it has been this <laughs> <Mine> <laughs> no, um,
1: seriously I felt that I was doing myself uh, an injustice by not revisiting the actual story yeah. themselves rather mm. than this encyclopedic um you know it's a catalogue of all these different ideas and stories and stuff and I think every now and again I might dip back into it um, but I just feel that there was a time when I was like, I found myself at four in the morning listening to it. I thought, I've got to fucking stop, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was uh, <clears throat> on internet web plays and superheroes, Anyway.
2: Um, yeah.
1: No? Okay, that's fine. Um, so we're at that section where you may have had an idea in your head and you wanted to basically say it but you were nice you didn't want to take us off road from our uh, mm. particular discussion now is that time where you can tell us your answers anybody <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there's so much <laughs>
3: <laughs> i want to say that the teenage mutant <laughs> had a tour back in the 90s um but they didn't have uh, the bow staff or the katana or anything they had instruments instead which was amazing to read today
2: (laughs) as well oh man see like i've lived in like pretty remote locations as i'm gonna tell you Bangor's not a very big place at all and where i live now is even smaller um so i've never really been to the theater but i remember like an ex-girlfriend like about must be like 12 years ago dragged me to see the queen we will rock you musical
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. i have never
2: hated anyone so much as i hated that person throughout <laughs> that play like literally it's all going on like yes these are freedom weapons i was like literally i hate no. you so much <laughs> like, Actually, uh, that's,
3: that's quite funny that bono and the edge wrote the music for turn off the dark as well uh, and <laughs> i think bono said it uh that the uh the whole production was quite pretentious he didn't know really know where it was going. This is coming Jesus. from Bono. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I don't even want to talk about in fact we've got like the next um Rambox TV episode, which is a group discussion, will be musically um inspired. But mm. I'm saying now that we
2: can't talk about Bono. It's like very- <laughs> done. <laughs> oh cool. about- god, no one likes Bono. <laughs> Like, (laughs) I am seriously surprised he hasn't done, like, a benefit concert already for this whole career. He's been suspiciously (laughs) quiet. Maybe someone's well, well, him out of his in
1: a while. There's nothing suspicious. It's because he can't gain from it in any shape or form now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we end, I wanted to share my idea before. Um, I do think that uh, what keeps a lot of people out of getting into superhero stuff or being completely switched off from it is the basic idea of what superheroes have been from the beginning. We may talk about justice, we may now talk about, say, um, gender norms, we may talk about all these progressive issues that superheroes are now becoming um, part of, because they can't escape culture. But essentially, if you think about it, superheroes were built up as male power fantasies, right? So isn't that going to be in itself something that um, shows, like, say, the boys, or even to an extent Daredevil, have to kind of casually step away from or lampoon or in some way um, parody so that they can progress the idea of the superhero away from that basic feature that was in my head
2: Okay, well, don't hate me. I don't know how this is gonna go because I'm gonna make like a plug, and then like hopefully you won't like murder me, and then you know <laughs> like something. I could have plugged my own book. <laughs> no, no, not anything to do with me. But like, this is why you're really gonna hate me. Uh So like, I got Amazon Kindle on my phone, like talking about like size so thing about Comet See, told you there's a plug, and no one was gonna like it. <laughs> uh, but I got Kindle on my phone, and that is like if you're talking about. These sort of, um, like, stepping away from these male sorts of power tropes, like, that is brilliant because they've got, like, loads of comics on there. Like, this is how I've read so many really good comics recently, like The Unknown Soldier, but they've also translated a lot of Spanish and French comics. Some of them uh, are absolutely brilliant, and they're all on Kindle Limited, which I get um and you can just so you can just read them for free you don't pay like the two or three quid you would have to you just pay a subscription every month but there's like a french one called uh hell's highway which is about an uh apocalypse and after the apocalypse trying to walk up this road uh to get to a safe place uh there's one called the last of us which is about i think it's not the last of us uh the last few which is french and that is a about uh, a vampire i am legend type world but with a woman trying to keep a group of kids alive who have become her like like class that she teaches uh and there but there was a really brilliant one that read that was spanish and that was about three women that had been fused together to try and make this ultimate weapon on a future world and there was like proper like uh I will find the name of the comic for you when I finish this piece. Yeah, please, uh, yeah. that sounds but, pretty
1: out there. I, I don't know how to even think about <laughs> it. used together to create
2: a weapon. Um, wow. Power it. It was like quite futuristic military sci fi. So it was all about like, and their power like going across that. Because, you know, we're talking in terms of like, they have warplanes that look like warplanes, but they're space fighters. And then uh these women obviously overcome that in the corrupt society and sort of end up just like being able to just crush all these people inside the cockpits mm. um the book of chaos i think it's called
1: well link me to that um i'm just very aware of time mr gaffin how much time do you have before you must leave i'm trying to end the show of all of us being able to you know exit at the same time and the time's I... a for you.
0: Yeah, no, that's fine. I like a, a good 15-20 minutes should be okay. Um I do I do have my own tiny bit of chaos to throw in at, throw in at the end. Yeah, <laughs> from, from my, um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Definitely throw in the chaos. Um if yeah. you have anything to say on my um latest rant in regards to the let's say there's a, a matrix of ideas um for superhero stories and let's face it, the progression that we have in the last few years, maybe the last, say, 10, has been worthwhile. But they are going up against 90-plus years of man-be-powerful, man-punch-of-a-man. That's Mm -hmm. the basic idea. And that that walls a lot of people out of finding it in any way interesting. And you can't necessarily blame them. Um, Does anyone have anything to say on that rant at all?
3: um i think that we have the opportunity to find um you know characters that we 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 look to what we we look forward to hearing about in other media or in other other books and so forth and superheroes for me personally as i've said in previous um um panels is my power fantasy of you know, being able to slip on my Green Lantern ring and fly off uh, to Oa and meet thousands of other aliens and have a big old dust-up as well. And you know, for myself, you know, it was an early introduction into, you know, for example, Asterix for me, what was an early introduction into, once again, another power fantasy, taking your secret potion and dropping menus on people's heads and, and so forth. And I followed that all the way through to say, I, I can completely separate that this is a completely ridiculous concept of having your your, your gods um, from like likes of Ares and, and Wonder Woman and so forth, fighting technological beings, uh, sorry, technological heroes like Blue Beetle and so forth. But I'm okay with that. You know, there, there's so much weirdness and madness in the world anyway. To be able to sort of wrap it up and put it into a a, a graphic novel, to say, or, or, or like Kingdom Come or, or something like that, it's absolutely fine for me. And if I want other characters or other other you know parts of fiction, I can go elsewhere, and I'm okay with yeah, that.
1: Sure. And um, there was um, I'll be very quick in this, but there was a video that Jose um, was talking about last week, Oliver, um, and he was. Telling us, I don't know if you guys remember, but it was about the infantilization of pop culture. Um, mm. And before today's episode, I watched it, and it's pretty fucking damning. Um, just, mm. yeah, we may have to do a video about that concept. In that apparently, okay. there's a lot of man babies running around who may think that they're sophisticated because they happen to know episodes one to 12 of whatever mini series and that in itself i don't know i found the video fascinating um i really want to talk about this now but it's not possible anybody <laughs> else have anything to say before matt throws in some chaos apparently
2: no go for it. sorry i'm go just ahead, matt. flexed by the mom yeah. babies um, <laughs> no worries
0: um yeah like so god there was, there was something i Think thinking just as you were speaking then uh, let me see if i can grab it uh to do with yes Um, the idea of having to divorce ourselves from certain aspects of current heroes. And I think that legacy of having so much history of male power fantasy combined with this kind of man-baby thing where if you have to progressify your heroes, then you're going to piss off some man-babies, basically. Like Because a lot of those power fantasies directly link to some of the things that if you want to address... of these issues around representation you're going to have to impact it somehow um and that kind of brings me on to the sort of the the point that i noted earlier I, i kind of have two aspects to this point the idea of the flip you know talking about wicked talking about these stories where you flip the script and you look at the other person's points of view right now in some ways i think that has a really radical potential when you look at the old conventions on broadcast media how um the villains you could only have like gay people in your shows if they were characterized as the the, the villain if they were in some way a deviant you know you've got the uh characterization of uh, trans people i guess if you look at people like buffalo bill where they're maybe not it's uh, actually i think In um, Science of the Lambs, he's explicitly made out to be trans. But this idea, yeah, but this idea that, you know, you can only show these people in a negative light. If you then bring that onto, you know, especially with Disney villains as well, a lot of them are portrayed to be camp in some way. When you start flipping the script like that, you can kind of empower a character that is given somewhat of a a non-cis-het white male characterization and I think that's got a lot of potential you're right you're right but there is something else to that as well which is how far do you take flipping the script
1: oh well I, it yeah. depends on what your story is I mean we're talking mm. about let's let's face it the carryover of Victorian sensibilities to point at that thing in the cage or point in that thing on the outskirts of town or that servant or that creature or that thing that you've turned into a golem when it actually was a person, you know, and that's carried over into films. Like if you look at Buffalo Bill, if you, if you look at all these, um, especially the sixties villains, I mean, look at Dr. No, you know, that the world was afraid of China. So they invent Dr. No, you know, or at least film conspires with Fleming to give that, negative idea uh flesh and bone and it's completely accessible you can go into a an exhibition of Bond and Dr. No will be there and there'll be no um particular analysis about what Dr. No stands for except that he's now memorabilia of this long-running spy well is James Bond really a spy? another show <laughs> so, <laughs> he's very flamboyant but yeah essentially um how far can we flip the script I, I feel that those questions in themselves are, um, and this is no affront to you, but it, it's very easy to answer. It, it, it's a case by case basis. If you flip mm-hmm. it and it's within the, the the logic of the actual story, then you're fine. But obviously, if you have people who are in charge of it, who are, let's say, um, awash with the idea of identity politics, with no other grounding other than they feel that they have um, a platform then you're going to have bad story writing you know it's not enough to have a representation of someone or something and say right now they've got their day it's like where's the story if the story is powerful enough then anyone's going to be into it do you know what I mean
0: Mm. yeah Yeah, definitely do we find a point where somebody is so do we think there is a point where someone is so irredeemably bad? that if we tried to flip the scripts on them, we would be doing a disservice to culture, basically. Well, they did that
3: with... Um, um, sorry, I was just going to say, they did that with, was it White Knight uh, and the Joker character, where essentially he, they, they deemed him as sane. And he he said that he was sorry for all his crimes. But this character was, uh, sorry, the, the Joker essentially went after Batman and put Batman on trial uh, afterwards. Um, and and uh, the entire uh, uh, sort of community of Gotham turned on Batman to say that he has actually created his own villains, which has been explored in, many, yeah. many, many different stories as well. Um, and, and essentially that is seen as the Joker's greatest victory over Batman without throwing a punch at all, which, okay. I, I, which I find really, really interesting.
1: I think that you know that story in particular, um, it, it definitely signposts to me that when it comes to comics and mental illness, they yeah. pretty much never get it right. So there's a mm. whole kind of fantasy idea of mental illness that they're mm-hmm. using to say that the Joker is now sane. Yeah. I mean, God knows how many people think that um, an asylum looks the way it does based on a lot of what happens in pop culture, let alone comics. So I don't know um, if we can really use that as an example for this particular topic. But I want to bring us back to Matt. Matt, you're saying if a character is so irredeemable, can we actually see through their eyes? Maybe it might be best to come up with a few examples, because I can't think of... Uh, an irredeemable um character let's say jack the ripper being rpov and us being forced to sympathize with him you can't do you know what i mean um i, I like say um harvey cartel or um what's his name uh, nicholas cage in like bad lieutenant that's a really fucked up guy but i can watch from behind his eyes because i can figure out some of his story a bit like taxi driver you know and um, mm. Like bickle he's got such a fascinating world view and you you can see the child in him that hasn't necessarily been explained to as how the world works he's just got back from nam he's got ptsd and now he's a taxi driver it's only going to get worse you know so i can mm. get those stories i can understand them um but there's a got- character in the five bloods as well who, who uh, when they go up to vietnam it's the four
3: uh black characters and one of them is a marga hat wearing uh trump supporter as well and he and he is a focal point character and you do understand how he gets that point but he isn't redeemable as well he's the main character uh delroy lindo so um it's yeah i guess he would be the main character yeah but there's there's four of them
1: yeah i have to see
2: it um i think it's it's weird spike lee it's weird, bi- weird spy, bi- usual. Bi- I definitely have to it. <laughs> uh, it's a very cool comic that has come out, uh, done by Garth Ennis that explores quite a lot of this stuff, like uh, these themes of like good and evil and like who is actually redeemable. Uh has anyone read Red Team? Um I've heard of
1: it. It's basically the assassins um back in the day in the war. Like uh female assassins. Am I right or wrong about
2: that? No, no, you're right. It's about a police unit. That are, um, I think the narcotics and they end up going to kill this guy who they, keep, uh, who they keep failing to catch who is a drug dealer but also is involved in like some really horrible stuff like prostitution and exploitation of minors and stuff like that and um, they go to kill him and it's just about where you draw that line of like who's redeemable especially like his brother gets involved and in, I think it's the second book and like You find out he's not as bad as he first seems. But it's just like you can actually start seeing through his eyes why he is the way he is, where he is a bad guy, but he has some sense of morality, which I thought was just a nice lead in from what you guys were saying. But yeah, look it up, Garth Ennis, Red Team. It's brilliant. I
1: I think Garth Ennis is a proper genius. I also think that my time-handling skills are just about okay, right, Matt? Yeah, who is to call it into the show? Thank you so much for being on the show today, guys. Matt, thank you. You're not talking to me. What the hell are
0: you up to? Uh, yeah, I'm in a three-piece band called House Pile-Up. Um, check them out. We just, I just found out today, actually, that uh, some of our music got used in a indie horror series about a blood, uh, bloodhound vampire. Uh, drug dealer. Cool.
3: <laughs> nice, nice. Uh,
0: which is incredible. You need to check it out. They, uh, Uncle Mickey uh, Productions. There is absolutely fantastic. You really should check it out. Have you got some kind of a link that you can send me? I will send it to you.
1: Yeah, I'll put it in the in the in the video description. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So, Mark, when you're not hanging out with me and Matt from Hearst Pilot, what are you up to?
2: Um <clears throat> I don't really know I'm probably going to go eat some food and then (laughs) I've got a little bit of coding to do for I'm building a GPS rover which is basically a satellite position um like a satellite position logger so I can take like really accurate positions down to about a millimeter two millimeters in height and about a millimeter in sort of lateral distance so you get like really accurate GPS points but they were really expensive, so we're just going to build all. That's
1: it. Good to have you on the show. Simon, Thank you you're not hang out with me, Mark and Matt? What are you doing?
3: Uh, yeah, so I, um, uh, I'm i an event production specialist, uh, majority of, sort of wholesale events, but I also help companies uh, transition their the front shop uh, online as well. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on now. And uh, as I spoke about last time, I'm also helping a friend of mine get his uh, film produced uh, uh, as well.
1: So that's really Good stuff. Well, thank you, Rampbox TV Watchers. A new episode is uploaded every Friday before 12.30pm noon. Do hit like and subscribe for more. Or and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter next week's episode will be a music one it'll be based well fixated on marketing marketing one's band during the pandemic how the fuck do you do it we <laughs> tell you how. thanks for subscribing and see you next friday have a good one Bye-bye. bye bye bye,
0: bye. bye.